All right, guys. Welcome to our fourth week in a row of doing care and prayer. Um, man, can you believe it's been four weeks already? It's it's been going by so slow and so fast at the same time. Yep. Um, as you guys join in, please uh, leave a comment. Let us know you're here, you're watching, and let us know how we can be praying for you today. Just a few announcements as we get started. Uh, tomorrow night at 7 p.m., we'll be doing our Good Friday service, and we'll be live streaming Facebook, YouTube, and really want to encourage you guys to to set aside that time like you would if it was a regular in-person Good Friday gathering. Uh, set aside that time. Do what you can to get the kids settled in, quieted down, occupied, um, even turn the lights down low, light some candles, um, really focus in on um, our time together, and especially as we consider Jesus' death and then on Sunday, his resurrection. Um, yeah, just really want to encourage you guys to to participate um, from your homes, where you are, with as much of your family as you can. Um, worship together, sing the songs out loud together, um, spend time in prayer leading up to it p to prepare for that. Uh, but just really, we, we want you to be engaged in that time, even though we can't be together in person. So then second thing would be Easter Sunday morning. S same thing we've been doing, 10.30 a.m., a live stream. Um, we want to really focus on, man, like this year, Easter is such a unique time because we really are the, our need for the resurrection is so much more apparent during this current mm -hmm. time. Um, so, yeah, it's not that it's not that the the resurrection has any more significance than it does any other time, but we just feel that need more right now. So, um, we really want to celebrate that well to really take joy and hope in the resurrection of Christ. And um, so, yeah, that'll be Sunday. Um, Last thing then would be we still have money in our COVID relief fund. So if you have been affected financially during the, the last four weeks by this whole thing, please let us know. I didn't put the link in there today, uh, but I can post it afterwards. We'll have that link if you want to submit a form to request benevolence assistance. And again, please, 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 please let us know. Um, we haven't had many requests, so we, we would love to be able to help and we want to prioritize those of you who are committed and engaged in our church, but we also want, it, you know, if everybody in our church is taken care of, then we want to extend that um, to those beyond the walls and beyond the membership of our church. Um, mm -hmm. But we want to see that put to use to bless people. So please let us know, and um, we would love to, to help you out with that. So, as we jump into today, Dan, do you mind just taking a few minutes to go over the sermon from this past Sunday? Yeah, so um, kind of the subject that we're getting at today is the, the problem of evil, which gets very complicated. But the reason why uh, we're jumping into that particular problem is, on one hand, because of the season that we're living in, where evil and brokenness and suffering is all too apparent. But then on Sunday, we also, uh, from the book of Ruth, considered the providence of God. And, and 
and recognize that even with Ruth and Naomi and their time of, of suffering, they're coming from significant loss, seeing their husbands pass away, uh, reading through the lines. Obviously, Ruth is barren for 10 years in her marriage, uh, unable to conceive. So they're coming back to God's land, to Bethlehem, and they are ruined in, in suffering. They are hurting through and through. And so uh, just as many in this season are hurting, and it's a time of uncertainty, so it was for Ruth and Naomi. It was a time of uncertainty. There was plenty of suffering. Uh, and in those times, uh, it's important that we think biblically, that we're just not seeing the circumstances perhaps for how we would interpret them, uh, but what we would think biblically. And when we think biblically, the, the promise really from Scripture is that it not only grants us something of clarity, that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It, it gives us clarity for what steps we are to take next. Uh, but it also grants us comfort. Uh, so even the, the promise from Isaiah 26 is that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So to think biblically is to stay our minds on, on the Lord. And, and with thinking biblically comes both clarity and comfort. So part of then the, what we covered on Sunday was uh, the topic of God's providence, which is kind of a big theological term, but it's not supposed to be so scary in its big term. Um, the idea of God's providence is simply defined as God's hidden hand at work in our lives. God is always constantly at work in our lives and for our good. But we made the distinction between God's providence and God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is his bigness, his greatness, his control over all things. The things that he has determined to come to pass, they will come to pass. The promises that he has put forward, they will be fulfilled because God is sovereign. He's in control and his control is unrivaled. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is, uh, even as the book of Ruth would state, he is the almighty God. Uh, he is uh, the Lord of hosts, which means he stands above everything and anything else. There is no, uh, what would you call it, yin and yang when it comes to the biblical storyline. There is no balance between good and evil. God is good and he stands over all, all things. So that's, that's his sovereignty, but his providence then is his hidden hand at work in, f in, in seeing his sovereignty fulfilled. And so we, we see God's providence specifically in the story of Ruth and Naomi as God provides both food and family for them and blessing uh, to them. But the whole, the whole point then of the book of Ruth is to recognize that even in times of uncertainty, God is actively working on our behalf. He's constantly working for our good uh, for his glory. He's working in this world. He's working in our lives. He's working for our redemption. The, this is our God, our providential God, who's constantly working, even in times of uncertainty like we're facing now. So anytime we bring up those ideas of God being sovereign over all things, controlling all things by his, by his omnipotence, um, and at the same time working in our lives and working in our world, so many people immediately go to how do we reconcile the fact that 
evil and and suffering, pain, all those bad things summed up in the word evil yeah. exist. So how can God be sovereign over that yet evil exist? So that's where we're going to spend our time yep. today. Exactly. Um, do you mind just summarizing the problem of evil? Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the problem of evil, I mean, so for many of you who may be watching this, may watch this um, after it's recorded, uh, it may, maybe you're in that place where, you know, you've looked at the world and you've seen all the brokenness and you say that it, it can't be that there's a good God out there because you're, you, you see the evil, you see, you see the brokenness. Um, for some of you, you, you may have like kind of stayed away from the whole religion idea or the whole God idea because, because of that. And, and for many, they become atheists largely on the issue of the problem of evil. They see evil in the world and they say, well, there can't be a good, all powerful God, uh, out there. And, and for many Christians, for those who have come to faith in Christ, this is a problem for us as well. This is this is a, a thing to wrestle through. It's not an easy topic uh, to jump into or to consider. It, it it is difficult. Why? Well, we're we're we don't have uh, the thoughts of God. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and so we can only see the perspective that we have. And the perspective that we have is one in which there's plenty of pain, there's plenty of tragedy, there's plenty of uh, darkness and brokenness. And so the problem of evil is a problem really for for all of us. Uh, but the problem can be summarized as like if God states in in his word that that he is all good and all powerful, then how could evil exist? For either he's not all good, but maybe he's all powerful or He's just not all that powerful to do anything about it, but maybe he is that good. You, you see the conundrum. It's, it's, a, it's seemingly a contradiction. Like if God was all good and all powerful, we would assume that he would eradicate evil. And the question then stands, why, why has it? Why do we face the coronavirus? Why do we face cancer? Why do we, why do we face uh, stillbirths? Why do we face all the tragedies, abuse and oppression and injustice? Why do we face... Uh, all of these things, if our God declares within Scripture that he is both all good and all sovereign in, in control uh, of all things. So that's really the, the summary of, of what this topic is. And we have to be, we have to be then careful um, because when it comes to our pain and when it comes to our suffering, like um, it's one thing to just like logically dice this issue apart and and seemingly be very insensitive to the fact that, yeah, there's there's healthcare workers who are struggling right now because they're working incredibly long hours and they're they're serving those who are on the precipice of facing life and life and death. And so uh, and then even in our own sufferings, the abuse that we have experienced and the soul wounds that we carry that. That this whole topic can just be in and of itself seemingly uh, disconnected from the, uh, the emotional weight. And so we want to be careful as we walk into this. We don't, we don't come to this topic just like kind of superficial and just like let's put a, you know, a, a verse band-aid on all our wounds and just trust God and be okay with it. No, this is a real struggle and this is a, 
real problems. So we have to we have to be careful on just how we address these things. Um, and 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 even as we go through this, some of it's going to be, it's not going to hit on the emo. It's not going to satisfy the emotional uh, kind of weight that you feel when it comes to the problem of of evil. Um, but hopefully, we will see uh, this afternoon that there is a God who does kind of like have shoulders, who who is then even willing to come alongside of our pains and shoulder uh, kind of the burden of pains with with us through this through this life. I love even in scripture how you see a variety of um, when you compare someone like David, who is kind of approaching things through the emotional, through the, s- the soul yeah, side yep. of things and how he deals with the problem of evil or someone like Job or Jeremiah. Um, but then on the other side, you have Paul who's coming at it in a very logical, <laughs> rational way. And and all those ways are like God's given us all different um, different minds and we feel things differently. So, um, But with that in mind, yeah. so how do we That's approach great. this? through through a christian perspective especially when it comes to logic yeah because largely this argument against the existence of god and evil is a logical um it's a logical argument yep so how do we see that from a christian perspective yeah so a few quick thoughts and this is where things kind of get stale in terms of like it's emotional satisfaction uh it it doesn't necessarily satisfy the emotional pains that we we feel but nonetheless it is important uh that in our day where so many have rejected the the biblical god because of this problem of evil it's it's important that we would at at least kind of come to the the turf of logic and kind of work things out at, at least in part um, and, and so here, here's a few reasons why the problem of evil cannot argue away the existence of God. Um, first, and, and again, this doesn't satisfy the emotional side of things, but first and foremost is that, that even when we do experience suffering, we, we even can in part conceive of something good actually coming from an experience of, of evil. Uh, even scripture would testify to this. You know, you, you take uh, Joseph from uh, Genesis and track his story and you watch his story. Here, here is a guy who, you know, uh, grew up in a great home, so to speak. And, and yet his brothers all turned on him. He's sold into slavery. He becomes a, a victim, so to speak, at a, at a young age. He's sold into slavery later on in his life. Uh, he's wrongly uh, accused. He spends years in prison. Here, here's a guy whose life, in in so many ways, never lived up to any dreams that he necessarily would have aspired to himself. Uh, he was a man who suffered great oppression, and yet, towards the end of his life, he could look back on the situations of his life and and say, "Yes, man meant this for evil." But God has intended it for good. So even even for us, we can we can see that in part that pain and suffering and and even to some degree evil can um, can happen in such a way that good things come out of it. So if if we could conceive of that, couldn't it be that a God whose ways who are high above our ways, his thoughts high above our thoughts that 
that in his sovereignty, in his control, that he is weaving something good through even the terrible things that we experience uh, in this life. So, so the problem of evil, we, we would have to say just logically that it can't argue away the existence of God. And you'll see a lot, especially in, in the reading of you know, the new atheists out there and whatnot, um, that largely God is argued away because of this problem of evil. And it's, it, it's to say, well, you know, it seems as though good can come out of evil and difficulty. And so the problem of evil, it just can't argue away the existence of God upon that basis. Now, secondly, this, this is kind of uh, when C.S. Lewis, the great British philosopher and theologian, when he came to faith, he was struggling through this problem of, of evil. Uh, and the way that he argued through all of this and the way he was brought to faith is is that, you know, he he claimed to be an atheist on the basis that this world is unjust. There's evil in the world. And therefore, uh, obviously, God can't exist because why would a good, all powerful God allow evil to exist? And so but C.S. Lewis came to the point of recognizing, like, if if his mind and his heart thought in categories of of things that are just and things that are unjust, then there had to have been some standard by which he came to know that. Um, and, and when it comes to the issues of morality and the issues of justice, um, the very fact that we can conceive of these things means that in some way, like we, we ha we've had to receive that from somewhere. Now, you know, some would say, well, it's what we've learned throughout evolutionary history. We've come to know that these, these morals work best for us. But it, it, ha it goes deeper than that. Um, when, when, when we see abuse taking place, let's say to a child, there, there's something that we know like deep within that it, it's not just some like instinct that we've learned over the years that say, oh, oh that, that's a bad thing. It's something that we feel kind of in our bones. We feel it in the depths of our heart. We, we know what darkness is, and it's not just instinctual. It's not something that's been learned. It's something that's planted deep within us that we can see something that's terribly wrong and know that there's something dark there. There's something diabolical there, um, as well as on the flip side of things, when we see something that's pure and right and innocent and harmonious, we can... We can sit back and in the depths of our soul, we know that there is something good there. So just the fact that we we have this standard ingrained within our own hearts of something that is just and unjust, that is good and evil, tends not to just argue God away. It actually begs for uh, an understanding of God, one who would have created us with some sort of deep understanding of what is right and what is wrong. So, uh, all, all to summarize, on one hand, we can't explain evil away um, just because evil exists. The fact is that we, we can conceive of good coming from evil, and therefore maybe God's ways are higher than our ways, and there is good uh, that he's working even in the midst of evil. But it's also that the fact that deep in our bones, we, we can conceive of good and evil, and it begs the fact that there would have been a creator God who's, who's wired us uh, accordingly. But then finally, um, we also have to recognize that the world that we live in is, 
is a world with the possibility of love. And, and in order for love to be a possibility, there also has to be the possibility of unlove or hate. Uh, while there is the possibility of doing good, there also must be the possibility of not doing good. Of If there's the possibility of benevolence, there also must be the possibility of malevolence. Uh, th where, where there is the possibility of love that is not mechanical, uh, where God's just not moving pawn pieces, you know, in, in this world, where there is the, the possibility of love, there must also be the possibility of unlove. Uh, there must be the possibility of evil. And so ev even, even staring at this problem of, of evil, we, we must come to the point of recognizing that, that this evil ensures the fact that there is the possibility of good things. Uh, of, of, of love. Now, you, you may stand back and say, well, why would God ever risk creating a world where there's the possibility of, of love and therefore the possibility of evil? Why would God create something like that where man can reject him, where man can uh, do such evil within the world? Why would a good God create a world that way? Why would he, ri why would he risk it? Why would he risk uh, rejection? Uh, and and it's really you know as we think about it it's the same it's the same reason why you know a husband and a wife would choose to have a child you know uh, the child as it grows up may reject them and and for for many who've had grown kids they've experienced that their kids have why have they then made the risk so to speak to have that child. And the fact of the matter is that love is worth it. Love is worth the risk, uh, even the risk of rejection and perhaps evil. So that's some of the logic uh, when it comes down to it, that the problem of evil can't just argue away God so simply uh, that when it comes to evil, it actually does lend itself to even a reason for, for God. Um, you know, the Apostle John, he uses the, the picture often of light versus darkness, and Paul touches on that, too, in some of his writings. Yeah. But even just another way to think through this is um, if, if you're surrounded by evil, to use the biblical um, metaphor, if you're surrounded by the darkness of evil, um, the only way that you can recognize the fact that it's evil is if there is some objective light exposing the fact that that is darkness yeah. and evil. And so the only way that we can look around us and even recognize that what's happening is evil and bad and wrong is because the very existence of God shows us that there's something other than what is currently happening around us that is good. So like we can't even recognize evil for evil without the existence of something that's objectively good. Yeah. Otherwise it would just be normal and it wouldn't be evil. Right. Um, just another yep. thought yep. that I had as you good. were speaking. Um, but to go beyond logic because none of us are perfectly logical. <laughs> I wish that we all were, but unfortunately none of us have it all figured out. Um, 
So we can try to understand logic and, and some of us are better than others. Um, but we have to get past logic at the end of the day and hear what God actually has to say about yeah. it. So how do we approach this from a scriptural perspective? Because if we just depended on our logic, uh, we would, yeah. we would go in a million different directions. So, and that's even as I asked that question, like that's my encouraged my encouragement to you is not to not to let the skepticism stop you from asking the question well what does god actually say yeah. about this yeah so how do we approach yeah. that through scripture that, that's fantastic um and and to just kind of piggyback on that before jumping in like it is so important that um we are that we are careful not to be self-sufficient in our own intellect um that that ultimately kind of like logical arguments are, n- are never going to ultimately win the day uh, when it comes down to it. And so it's important that, you know, even as Jesus would say, as the Old Testament says, like we can't, we can't live by bread alone. We can't live by all that we can kind of conjure up. And we, we need to live by uh, the word of, of God. We need to f- look to see what he says. Um, and, and even when we look to, to Scripture, when it comes to this problem of, of evil, I, we have to be straight. Like, we still don't have all the answers. It, like, Scripture just doesn't say, like, yeah, terrible things have happened, and here's X, Y, Z reasons for why those things happen. We just don't have all the answers. Like, God just doesn't. Now, we have some, like, generalities to, like, why God is doing what he's doing in the world, and we'll see maybe a few of those in, in a moment. But we don't. We don't have the why question. You know, even as a church, we've the last year, we've gone through some really hard things. And, and I personally, God, why? Why? Like that, it, it becomes a gnawing question that just God just doesn't satisfy. Um, now, there's other things that he does satisfy. And that's why it's important to look to his word, because although we don't get down to the specific answers to the why question, we do at least begin to see from Scripture that although this problem of evil is real, although suffering goes deep, although loss has been experienced, although oppression has been felt, there is a God who is worthy of of trusting through those seasons and through those difficulties. So, like if 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 the Bible didn't give us that, you know, you know, even me personally, I'd I'd just be like, hey, like, let's go find something else uh, at 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 this point. Um, and so the the question then I think stands not so much to answer the why question of all our sufferings, but to to simply ask the question: Does the Bible present us a God who is kind of worthy of our trust through the sufferings that we face? Um, and I think we do see that in Romans chapter 8. So we're going to go there uh, fairly briefly and just walk through. Do we have a God who is worthy of our trust uh, amidst the sufferings of this life? So Romans chapter 8 is is what I'm going to be referencing. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says this about our sufferings. He says that the sufferings of this present time, Right? And Paul realizes these sufferings are being presently felt. You, you, you stand under the burden of these sufferings. That, that's the people that he's speaking to him. They're feeling the pressures. And he says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So just think for a moment what that passage is, is saying to us. First, it's, it's telling us that, that God realizes the deep, painful things that we are facing. Like the Bible is not, even as James mentioned, like whether you, whether you go to the Psalms or whether you go to the, like the book of Jeremiah, like it is clear that God understands and he acknowledges the fact that we are living amidst deep and difficult uh, sufferings. So, so the Bible doesn't deny that. It's not just kind of this, you know, super naively optimistic book that never touches down on the griefs and difficulties of our own life. It, it actually recognizes it. And so what is the Apostle Paul saying? Well, he, he's recognizing the fact that right now in this life we are suffering. But then he says something strange. He says, but the sufferings here now are, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Now, that is a strange thing. And, and if you don't understand what he's saying, it's almost as if, like, he's saying, oh, well, just, like, get through your sufferings because eventually you're going to get to something better. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's what that text means, I've got, I've got some serious problems. Like, God is not someone who who stands back from our pains and sufferings and and just says, hey, I'm going to I'm going to bring about something a little better for you. Uh, So just kind of hold on. Like when it comes to our sufferings and our pains. I want to know that God's going to bring justice to each one of those sufferings and each one of those. I want to know that that there is a God who is not just bringing me into something better, some utopia of an existence. I want to know that every every millisecond of my suffering is going to be reconciled one day, that the injustices and every terrible thing that has happened to me, around me, will have some sense of justice one day. And, and so what we find then in this text is, is not that God is just saying, or that the Apostle Paul is just saying, well, just hang on because there's going to be this incomparable glory that will be eventually revealed. It's not just saying like, hey, one day things are going to get better. This idea of glory that will be revealed is a glory of perfect justice. Like the whole idea is that every millisecond of your suffering is going to be brought into a place of perfect justice where you sit back and say, whoa, I I couldn't have fathomed a better justice. For for all of us, we, we desire justice. We want things to be made right. It's part of the way God's heart wired us. And, and, and this text is not just saying that one day, yeah, everything's going to get better. It's actually saying that one day all things are going to get better and every justice will be brought to every injustice. Th- this is like um, the promise throughout Scripture that the God of this Bible promises again and again that there is no injustice that will be left unattended to that he's going to bring perfect justice to every injustice. And we actually do see it referenced uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, uh, where it talks about the sons of God. Uh, The sons of God, you may say, oh, that's just kind of a throwaway term. You know, it's just Paul being nice about, you know, referring to God's people as sons or children. But it's actually a term that's, that's utilized 
um, that, that refers to uh, those who will uh, help serve God's governing purposes in the world. Um, while the Bible sees Jesus as like the perfect judge on that final day, everyone will stand accountable to him and every justice will be finally and fully realized. But it's also to recognize that these sons of God will rule and reign with Christ. In other words, we will have a place of, of kind of co-ruling, co-judging with Jesus, like we'll actually have a say in the justice that is brought to all our injustices. It's not as though we sit back with, with just kind of like tape over our mouths. We can't say anything and we just trust that Jesus is, is going to take care of it all. He will take care of it all, but he also invites us into the process. The sons of God are those who rule and reign with Christ. They are the ones who stand with Christ to see justice fully realized. So when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to this problem of suffering, like we can't even conceive of one day this glory being something less than less than perfect justice being meted out and us playing a part of that. First Corinthians chapter six will will tip us off to that. Paul says, don't you realize that you one day will judge angels like you, it's strange for us to conceive of that. But even the evil one who has worked his evil purposes throughout this this world and and whatnot, uh, we will have a place uh, in which we will judge the angels. Um, And so when it comes to this idea of the sons of God, we will have a role with God in seeing perfect justice brought to every injustice that we've experienced in this world. So the Bible recognizes first that there is going to be sufferings. The Bible also promises that there is going to be perfect justice brought about, and we will have a role in that. Uh, But what it also does in Romans chapter 8 is we see that this, this God of the Bible is one who is presently bringing an end to evil, and this is important that we recognize it, it may get a little heady, so we got to think that the God of the Bible is bringing an end to evil without bringing an end to us. See, the problem of evil is not just that it's out there. The problem of evil is that it's in here. And if we want evil to go away, <laughs> that means God must deal with us. So how... How does God get rid of evil and bring about perfect justice when we are, in some way, evil ourselves? Like, we, we, we're stuck, right? We're wanting a solution to this world that means our own damnation when it comes down to it. And so what is God doing during this time? Why are we still suffering the way we are? Well, God says, verse 20 of Romans chapter 8, that creation was subjected to futility and brokenness. The idea is that, like, there was a point in time in history where the world was subjected to this frustration, to, to, to all of this problem of evil that we face, to the sufferings that we face. And, and we see this from the biblical storyline. You go back to Genesis 3, you see Adam and Eve, they're rejecting God, and what does it result in? It results in psychological problems, it results in, in shame and guilt, it results in even relational difficulties. It, there's a whole brokenness that comes with their rejection of God. 
So creation was subjected to futility. We see it a little further on, Genesis chapter 6. It's just another dimension of man's fall where then demonically inspired warrior kings then start oppressing people systematically. Uh, and then by Genesis chapter 11, you, you see uh, people worshiping demons and trying to you know, establish a standing with, with God. It's, it, it, it's just utter brokenness. And you see the murders and you see the incest and you see the sexual brokenness and you see the relational brokenness. And it, it, we, we begin to recognize early in the story of redemption is that creation was subjected to futility. And who, who played the role in doing that? Well, man did. Um, we did. Adam and Eve did, right? We were all a part of seeing the world subjected to futility. But it's important that we recognize that if you read Romans chapter 8, verse 20, um, it's also that God subjected the world to futility. And you may say, well, that's not right. Why, why would God be holding the world in this place of futility? Why would he be suspending this world in this condition of, of evil? Well, in verse 20, it says that God has left this world in this place of frustration and suffering. Uh, he's done so, verse 20, in hope. That creation would be set free. So what does this mean? It means that God is bringing evil to an end without bringing us to an end. The fact that evil even remains means that in some way God is instill. He's bringing about hope right now through this problem of evil. You look at Corona, you look at all the tragedies, you look at all the injustices, and the fact of the matter is that God is leaving. He's suspending the world in this place of suffering with the purpose of hope. And the hope is of setting it free. That, that redemption would take place, that evil would be dealt with, that it would be brought to an end without actually bringing us to an end, because if evil's brought to an end, we're brought to an end. And so really what this, this idea is, is that God is actively bringing about salvation. He's actively bringing about uh, hope. He's actively bringing about redemption for all those who've suffered with this problem of pain, this problem of evil. The evil will be done away with when God's work of salvation is finished. That's the idea of Scripture. Right now, evil exists because God is at work saving and redeeming and changing people. We face all kinds of brokenness in this existence because God is still actively saving people to himself. He is redeeming us. And how has he redeemed us, right? If he's going to if he's going to allow evil to continue, he must be a god then who provides for us a wonderful redemption, a wonderful rescue from this evil, and he has begun that process. So even in chapter 8 verse 31, we see uh, a reference to Jesus Christ, who is the one who came and died for us, and more than that, who was raised for us. Why did Jesus come? He came so that he would undo sin within us without undoing us, that he would end sin in us without 
ending us. That's why Jesus came. So here we have this this God in the Bible who 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 does hold the world in this place of of brokenness, but he does so with the hope of actually rescuing us. And he's not a God who's standing back, as agnostics may think, that he's just kind of standing back and allowing the laws of nature to grind themselves out. We just suffer in all the the tragedies and cruelties uh, of this world. No, he actually came into the world himself. So he's a God who not only recognizes our suffering, but has stepped into our sufferings. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and as we'll celebrate on Sunday, Jesus rose again. And why did he do all of that? Well, he did that so that he might atone for our own sins, that he might deal with the problem that is, that is evil within us. Uh, so he has not only told us that he realizes that we're in suffering, uh, but he has actually entered that suffering to rescue it, to rescue us from it. So even verse 37 of Romans 8, he, he actually, Jesus came so that we might be more than conquerors. Uh, now, even that term recognizes that there's something that stands against us. There's evil that prevails uh, without and in some ways still within. Uh, and, and yet, it's verse 37, that we are more than conquerors in Christ and that nothing, even in this world of evil, even with latent sin still within this man, uh, there's nothing that's going to separate me from the redeeming love of Jesus. Jesus is going to have me at every moment of my existence here on this planet. With, with the pains and the sufferings that surround me, he calls me more than a conqueror, and he says there's nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing others that can do. There's nothing that principalities can do and angels can do. There's nothing that distance can do. There's nothing that can undo me from his love. So, again, like, think about this. If God is going to allow evil, he better be a God who's worthy of our trust. He better be a God who recognizes that we live in this problem of evil. He, he better be a God then who, who even as this text is saying, he, he, he's entering the brokenness himself. He's coming and suffering himself in the person of Jesus. And, and he's establishing for us this, this unending, ever-prevailing, conquering love. So he's a God who realizes our suffering and enters our suffering and demonstrates a love to us even through our sufferings. Now, the other thing that you can't help but pick up through Romans chapter 8 is the fact that God not only realizes all that and helps us and has stepped into our brokenness, but he's also a God who, who actively is helping us in the midst of our sufferings. Um, so on one hand, verse 29, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He gives us words that we don't have. When our pain is too much and we don't even have the words to say, we only have tears, we only have groans. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who's interceding on our behalf. That means on one hand, he's helping us personally, but he's also taking all the prayers and all the groans and all the, 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 the wordless, you know, like cries. He takes all of those to the fathers and, and he puts words to them. Right. So he's a God who helps us. He's a God who intercedes for us. In in uh, verse 34, we also see that Jesus himself is interceding 
for us. In other words, he's a, he's a God who sees our pain. He knows our pain. He's not indifferent. He's not just saying, hold on, hold on. Things are going to eventually get better. He's actually with us and serving us in the midst of our own suffering. So, Romans chapter 8, it doesn't tell us ultimately why is God doing it this way and why have I suffered in these particular, you don't get the why question. But what I do think that you do get is a God who is worthy of our trust, a God who recognizes our pains. He's not naive. He's not just saying, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just like, you know, brush the, the dust off and, you know, get back to living. He's a God who understands uh, and who understands our, our deepest emotional strains. He, he recognizes our pains. He sees us. He hears us. He knows us. But then he promises perfect justice. There will be a glory that will be revealed that is not just some sort of like, oh, things are going to get better, but it's every millisecond of injustice, every ounce of loss will come to a final reckoning. All injustice will be brought to justice. And Jesus even gives us a role in all of that, that we will even have a part in seeing justice brought about for all the pains and sufferings that we've gone through. So our God recognizes our pains. Our God promises to bring perfect justice in the midst of our pains. And, and, and he intends in all of this to bring an end to evil without bringing an end to us, right? He comes to us. He enters our sufferings. Now he knows something of our sufferings, and he's seeking to work redemption through it all. And he promises, ultimately, through this process, to help us through our pains. He's interceding for us. He's caring for us. He's with us in, in the pain. So, folks, like, again... There's nothing, there's, there, there's nothing that is ultimately going to give you A, B, C reasons for the pains, the specific pains that you've suffered. We're not God. We don't see all those things. But what we do as have is a God who's worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our trust, even through our deepest and darkest pains uh, that we suffer. Any thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to go back to the point that you made that our redemption from suffering and from evil isn't just getting something better than currently. And it brought to my mind the story of Erin Brockovich, where I don't know if you've seen that movie, but she's going around this city trying to get people who have been affected by this chemical contamination to join into her lawsuit to bring justice against this mm -hmm. large company. And, People are expressing to her, like, I don't want to go through this because whatever money you might win in this lawsuit isn't going to bring back the loved one that I lost as a result of it. And so when you think about our redemption from suffering um, through that lens of like, if this was a lawsuit, God isn't just giving yeah. us a large payout yeah. of money to or, you know. Yeah. Not necessarily money, but he's not just giving us something to make us feel better to be able to cope with what we've lost. Right. He's and to go to Romans three, God is he's not only just he's the justifier. 
he's he's the judge and the one Jesus who took on that punishment. Yeah. He took on, you know, all of that guilt that was due to every single person who has committed evil and injustice. And yeah. he and he took that upon his shoulders to make justice. And um, so our redemption from suffering isn't just that large payout. Not that it's not that class act lawsuit where yeah. we get some money to help us feel better. It's not like heaven is just this thing that's going to make us feel better. But to go back to all those points that you made, like he is bringing about justice. And when you really like dwell on that and, and consider the depths of his justice, it's yeah. just astounding. Right. Yep. That's good. And it, it just brings to mind, if there are any of you who are watching this who you say, like, you know, yeah, the, the problem of evil, the fact that we suffer in the ways has kept me away from God in some ways. Um, I, I, I would just strongly encourage you, like, you have to understand from Scripture, God is allowing evil right now. He's allowing suffering. He's permitting it. Um, not because he's he's okay with it, but it's because he is bringing evil to an end without bringing you to an end. He's given you the opportunity, even here and now, to know this justice, to know this love, to know his kindness, to know his grace that, that is there for us through every trial, through every, every tra tragedy. He, it, it is a call to come to know him. If you're suffering, don't suffer alone. If there is incredible tragedy that you've gone through, he wants to be with you. He wants to provide his presence. He wants to provide his comfort. He wants to save your soul from the ultimate destruction that uh, many will face. And so turn, turn to him, like consider him. I know, I know for many of us and the sufferings that we've gone through, it's hard. It's just hard. Um, to consider God, one who is all good and all powerful through uh, this problem of evil that we all face. But but know this, he he is bringing an end to evil uh, without bringing an end to you. Should you trust in Jesus? Should you trust in what Jesus has done uh, for you? So I'd encourage you to trust in the Lord. Even the passage comes to mind. There's a there's a text in Luke chapter 13 where um, several folks, you know, gather around Jesus and they ask Jesus why such uh, evil has been experienced in the world. So there was a, a, a governor who who did all these terrible things to the temple. And then there was also this tower that seemingly accidentally fell on a bunch of people and killed several people. And and they come to Jesus with the, the question of evil. Why does suffering happen? And Jesus doesn't give the answer for specifically why. But what he does hold out is he says, hey, if, if you don't turn to me, you will likewise perish. And I know that's hard news. That's almost like suffering upon suffering. Like, like how can he say that? But, but the whole point of like a season like this, Corona is happening. And why is it happening? Well, we don't know the specific uh, reasons why, but I, I believe God would say this is this is an opportunity to to recognize your own limitations, your own frailties. This is the time to recognize your need for Jesus, not to be pulled away from Jesus. It's your it's a time to recognize like where where is your own life going? You know what what's going to happen after death? Um, 
These are the seasons where we need to kind of carpe diem, seize the day in considering some of these things. And, And Jesus would say, like, these are the kind of things that should direct you to him. Uh, He is a God who is worthy of our trust. He is not one, uh, you know, ambivalent to evil and suffering in the world. He's the one who recognizes it, has stepped into it himself, has suffered greatly, great abuse. And, you know, it's not as though Jesus just kind of like was so, you know, um, powerful to just kind of get through all those sufferings without any emotional pains or burdens. He suffered it all like we would. Uh, And as one, he has overcome what we never could, and that is the satisfaction of the penalty of our sin and also then overcoming death itself. This is what Jesus has done for us. And he he says with, with, you know, scarred hands, he, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So I'd encourage you, don't, don't pull away from Jesus during the season. Explore him. God, God promises those who seek him will find him if they seek him with all, his, uh, with all their hearts. So, uh, folks, get after, get after Jesus during this season. I, I just strongly encourage you in that direction. Yeah, if you guys have any specific things you want us to pray for, go ahead and comment that now um, we're going to transition into just a time of prayer and i would encourage you guys to to stop where you are and to really press into prayer with us as we pray so we're going to be praying for just two categories people who who are not believers or followers of jesus mm-hmm. who are kind of stuck in that skepticism because of the pain and the suffering they may have experienced and then on the flip side those who are following jesus yet they've experienced pain and they're discouraged in it. So we're going to jump right into prayer unless you have any, any last thoughts to add before. Yeah. You know, um, one of the examples, you know, I'm, I'm always wanting to learn from others who've kind of gone before us and scripture actually says, you know, James chapter five, we'll talk about, Hey, learn from the prophets who suffered before you. Um, that, that there are many, whether it's the prophets of the, the Bible or whether it's uh, other Christians who've gone through great struggles and, and turmoil, it's, it's to say, like, learn from them, read biographies, get, get to know those who have gone before us. Uh, one of the names that comes to mind is William Cowper. Uh, he was a man who uh, suffered from mental illness. He was a, a man who actually... Um, you know, attempted suicide multiple times, was thrown in an insane asylum uh, back in the day. And it was in an insane asylum that he actually came to faith. Um, And he talks about a certain passage, I believe it was John 11, that speaks of Jesus's resurrection, right? The the hope of, of resurrection, that one day, like all these pains and all this turmoil and all these emotional difficulties and mental difficulties will be done away with uh, through Jesus. And so even for William Cowper, it was, uh, you know, he, he gets saved in an insane asylum and, and then is taken out of the insane asylum as a, as a believer in Jesus, but then continues to suffer. I mean, it, tragedy after tragedy, just difficulty after difficulty, um, he was actually then sent to Isaac Newton's uh, parish. Isaac Newton was uh, known for being, you know, radically s- saved as well from some of the things involvement in the slave trade, and 
and and whatnot. Um, but but he was sent out to Isaac Newton's um, um, parish and and to to be tended to because he had so much anxiety and so much kind of just mental stress that he carried. And so one of the things that they did uh, to kind of remedy some of the the stresses and anxieties and kind of the mental illness that they that they faced was to write songs together. Um, you know, First Thessalonians five says uh, that in all things we are to rejoice and be thankful. And so um, it, it was really their way of just continuing to keep worship before them, to continue to keep perspective on who their God is. And uh, some of the most beautiful hymns came out of that season of those two getting together um, and and writing writing songs. William Cowper, I'm just going to read this song real quick, and then we'll jump into prayer. Uh, but he he writes this song, God moves in, mis- in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the seas, and he rides upon the storm. You should see Jesus as he's walking upon uh, the waves, you know, he Jesus, the symbol of Jesus standing over the chaos that we all um, that we all experience. Uh, Cowper says, deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, God treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. So God, the idea is that God is working in incredible ways and ways beyond our own imagination God is working in amazing ways, even through pain. And so Cowper says, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessing on your head. He's saying the clouds may be dark, but they're going to open with lavish blessing upon you because God is in it all, right? So he says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Don't just put God on trial every time something, um, you know, happens. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You may look at your circumstances right now and say, man, God's not being good to me. You you may see, so to speak, his, his frowning providence. Uh, But as Cowper even says from his own experience, it's behind that frowning providence that he hides a smiling face. And he finishes by saying, God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err. Like We don't want to just blindly uh, believe in things. It's sure to err. And scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. And he will make it plain. In other words, the why question will one day be answered. We will see it. And even for a man who suffered greatly, mental illness, stresses, you know, even attempted suicides and whatnot. Here's a guy who, even through all of that, could say, all right, I don't get the answer for why I'm suffering in the way I do. But I'm going to trust that, yeah, even God's frowning providence, there, there's a smiling face behind that. Even for the trials and tragedies, one day, you know, bitter may be the bud, but one day sweet will be the flower. That we will see the why questions answered 
when we do see Christ face to face. So take hope. Take hope in the examples of others. Would you guys pray with us? Lord Jesus, we come before you this afternoon just um, surrounded by the existence of evil, surrounded by the pain of loss and suffering and injustice. And so, Lord, we come before you uh, asking for your help. We come before you asking for understanding as much as we can. Um, But, Lord, we also come before you to ask for an outpouring of people coming to faith in you, Jesus, as they begin to understand, they begin to see by your Spirit's enlightening work in their hearts that that you are a God who is aware and loving and present and in control mm-hmm. despite evil. Yeah. And it doesn't make you any less God. It doesn't make you any less good. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, that, that people this afternoon, that people would, would come to faith in you and understand who you are, God. Yeah. And I pray for every individual who hears this prayer, um, who doesn't know you yet, Jesus. I'm lifting them up before you, your child that you've created in your image, your beautiful child who you've designed to do good in this world, but even more than this world, you've designed them for eternity with you. Mm-hmm. You've designed them to live forever. Lord, you say that that you don't delight in the death of anyone, mm. and so you call us to turn to you and to live. You call us to turn to our Creator our loving, just God for life. And Jesus, that's you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the one who came and took on our suffering, took yeah. on our weakness to make justice, to make peace for us before the Father. As we are all ones who have gone our own way, we're, we're ones who have failed time and again. We've committed injustice upon others. Yet, Jesus, you came to save us because you're not willing that any should perish. Mm -hmm. And so my prayer for each individual who doesn't know you yet, who hears this, Lord, is that they would lay down skepticism and doubt Mm -hmm. and fear and even an anger towards God. Lord, would they lay that down? Spirit, would you open up the eyes of their heart so that they might understand your goodness and your Mm -hmm. love for them? that they might understand, Jesus, that you're the one who came to seek and to save the lost and how lost we really are. We don't even understand the depths of our of our condition in our lostness. Lord, we don't even, uh, we're not even aware that we're lost many times, um, but you came to seek us out and to bring us out of that condition. And so, Lord, would you, would you comfort those who don't know you yet by showing yourself to them, helping them mm-hmm. to understand and to trust in you. Lord, give them the gift of faith. Spirit of God, would you would you give them the new birth that you bring, the regeneration that you bring. Revive hearts, Lord. Give them a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. And Lord, draw mm-hmm. us to you. Yeah. Draw each individual who, who has, has not yet humbled themselves before you. Lord, would you draw them to yourself? And again, just reveal to them your grace and your love and your mercy despite all the evil around us, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. In Jesus' name.
God, we are we are so grateful. Um, it would have been perfectly right for you that as soon as sin entered the world that you would have folded up your creation and been done with us. God, but you have subjected the world to this frustration with hope to see many, to meet, see many saved. And so, God, we, we thank you. We thank you uh, that we, we, many of us have come to know that salvation. What a salvation. What a cost. Jesus, thank you that you came and you took on evil. You took on the power of evil. You took on the penalty of evil. You, you stepped into uh, our sufferings and you satisfied it all and you did it perfectly. So, Jesus, thank you that you came. You bore the cost for us and thank you that you overcame the grave god thank you that the 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 grave is something that no longer has teeth it it is toothless it has no ultimate power and and yet yes while we suffer the loss of many uh, friends family um and while that is painful god thank you that you have overcome the grave that it, for all those in you, it is not death uh, to die. And so thank you for that hope that we can, we can have while we mourn and while we cry and while we miss them deeply. Jesus, thank you that you stand with us in our pain and you tend to us in our pain and you tend to us even in our questions. And, and yet you establish for us a, a sure and steadfast hope that is unwavering for you are alive and you reign. We know it. We know it. Not just because a book tells us, although that's important, but we know it because we've experienced you. We've, we've known relationship with you. We've, we've felt your love. We've known your presence. We've seen your miracles. And so, Jesus, thank you that you're alive and well, and you're alive and well to tend to your people, giving us great hope even through deep, deep sorrows. So, Jesus, we honor you. We honor you. And God, I pray that you would tend to every ear that is hearing who already has trusted in you but f has faced such difficulties in their life that they perhaps would kind of remain um, kind of distant from you or just always seeing uh, perhaps the, the shame that has been brought about in their life because of the evil that they've experienced or encountered. Uh, God, where the evil one has stepped in and has kind of confused perspective on who you are and what you've done, O oh, Spirit of God, I pray that you would move powerfully. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would undo the, the bondage of shame that many um, find themselves uh, chained to, uh, where they remember the past again and again and again. Oh God, redeem the past. Take the wounds, take the injustice, and redeem them. May all the things of the past become just trophies of your grace, that you've overcome our woundedness. You've overcome the injustice that we've faced. You've brought us in to uh, the light. You've made us new creations. We are sons. We are daughters. We are cherished ones. We are the ones in whom you delight. And it's not as though we've done anything to earn that. Jesus, thank you that you've made it all possible that we might stand in, in your pleasure and know your goodness and know your grace 
and know your love. So we, we adore you, but, oh, God, we pray that you would work mightily upon the hearts of those whom the evil one would try to uh, discourage and, and just take shame and kind of smear it in their face again. Oh, God, grant light in the midst of that darkness. Push back the, the enemy. God, we trust that you have bound the strong man, and therefore uh, you have rendered him powerless. For any who are in Christ, they have every, every authority to stand up against those thoughts and every reason to see you bring about good from very difficult situations. So we trust you. We trust you, Lord. And God, I do pray again for um, the Estrada family. Um, yeah, we all uh, miss, we miss Steve. God, I, I thank you even um, in the last couple days that there has been just unique reminders as I've walked around the building, as we've been doing projects. Thank you that there are con constant reminders of the work he was busy about doing before you brought him home. Thank you for the heart of compassion that you placed in him such that we might um, encounter something of you through him. What, what blessing you brought to us through Steve. God, and we thank you that you, you have him. Thank you that you, you, you have him and he stands with you. And God, in your purposes, you found it right to bring him home. We don't get that, and to be straight, we don't like that. But we trust you. We trust your purposes. And, oh, God, we pray that you would tend to our hearts, tend to the Estrada family, especially as the 18th rolls around. We just we pray that you would surround them. God, I, I pray that um, there, there would not only be freedom to grieve, but, God, that there would be just a, a strange, supernatural um, empowerment to thank you, to rejoice in you. That we would we would look that we would look at death and where the enemy would want to leverage death to discourage our hearts. Oh God, that we would do the battle of praising, that we would raise a hallelujah in the midst of feeling that lost and say, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop praising our God. We're not going to stop taking faith in our God. We're not going to stop battling for the sake of our Jesus. We're going to stay faithful and we're going to we're, we're going to pray into this loss to see a great harvest brought about. So, oh God, we, we pray on behalf of uh, this loss that you would do a great work. We want to be a people rejoicing in you even through this, this loss, as difficult as it might be. We want to see a harvest brought about. We want to see lives changed. We want to get back down to Puerto Rico. We want to see... Uh, friends and family of Steve's come to know you. We want to see them come to know the very hope that Steve came to know. So, God, do a great work, we pray. We pray. We pray boldly. We pray um, strongly because you're a God who invites it. You want us to pray this way. And so we step in and we, we honor you in these prayers and say, God, do a mighty work. 
But yes, I do pray that you would also comfort the grieving souls. So be a refuge to them. May they know your goodness just by the fact that you are an amazing refuge. You are near to the brokenhearted. You save the crushed in spirit. So we thank you, God. And Father, um, yeah, we ask your blessing then upon this time and upon the remainder of this week. Set our gaze, set our gaze on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And may you ultimately then be glorified even through what is a very strange and uncertain time. So be glorified, we pray, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Don't forget, uh, t- tomorrow night, 7 p.m., Good Friday service. And uh, we want we want to hear from you guys. So if there's any needs, any prayer requests, anything, please reach out to us. And yep. uh, yep, we'd love to hear from you. Tune in to Good Friday with kind of a, a, a heart to to worship. It's going to be like a living room kind of style of, of worship. So we're going to just kind of take our time and bless the heart of the Lord and consider this worthy lamb who was slain on our behalf. Um, so we'll, we'll read through the, the passion um, scriptures, uh, but also then just like throw our hearts before the Lord, thanking him for all that he is for us in Christ. So hope that you join us then.